Welcome to Inside the Treehouse, a conversation with world-class K-12 education experts who will talk about their personal journey and all things education. I'm Jeff Jones, and our podcast is brought to you by Solution Tree, the home of some of the greatest tested and proven solutions to problems we face daily in K-12 education. Today's guest is Ms. Cassandra Erkins, and I have to ask, Cassandra, Cassie, or Cass, how would you like to go? Because you have lots of names that all are derivatives from Cassandra. Right. The more you know me, the more letters you lop off my name, and so you can go with Cass. Or we'll just go with C. Just go that with works C. too. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show. For those of, do, of you who do not know Cass, uh, let me give you a little bio information on her. She's a presenter, a facilitator, a coach, a trainer of trainers, a keynote speaker, an author, and above all, a teacher who has served as a senior high school English teacher, a director of staff development at the district level, a regional school improvement facilitator at the state level, a director of staff and organizational development in the private sector, and an adjunct faculty member, and a founding member and the leader of the Solution Tree Assessment Center. She presents on national and international topics worldwide on assessment, instruction, leadership, school improvement, collaboration. And Cassie also provides facilitation skills for meetings and retreats. You have authored seven books and are a contributing author to four anthologies. And you've also authored and co-authored a wide array of publishing trainings, of published trainings, and have designed and delivered the trainer programs for two major educational publishing companies, which I'm very proud of that you're associated with those. I'm proud of those companies. So Cass, like most friendships, it has been way too long since we've seen each other. Now we're going Zoom face to face. The last time I saw you in person was January 2020 when you and Tom and Nicole were all here. Tom Shimmer and Nicole Dimish were all here for our stand up, uh, sit down retreat on Seuss Tree Assessment Center. There's been a little water going on to the bridge since then. A lot has happened since then, so it's really good to see you again. It's good to see you. And the time before that was in Long Beach, California, when we designed a session. And we didn't do very well on our job of filling the session, but you guys did a great job of presenting a session. And that's back in, uh, that's when Corona was still known as a beer uh, versus <laughs> today. And if you take Long Beach in Indiana, I think probably we'd like to meet Long Beach again versus Indiana. Absolutely. It's a wonderful place to be. So before we get into the passions of your work and stuff, what I like to do now is just learn a little bit more about Cass, Cassandra, Cassie, and your past and your present and kind of the future. We'll get into what your your passions are with work. But I always like to find out how you got into education to begin with. What are the roots? Was there a, a faculty member or a teacher or a parent or a grandparent? How'd you get into this profession? Well, I was never going to be a teacher, um, and I was inspired at the end in, in my senior year by uh, Miss Rebecca Schmidt, who really, um, if you will, took me to school because I had been an A student. I got A's all the time, and when I started writing for her, she gave me C minuses and said, uh, "There's more to writing than complete sentences, and I'm going to have to show you some things." And she actually. I think taught me how to learn more than I had played school before. And I know several of your other interviewees had said the same thing and been successful. And she really helped me figure out how to learn and turned on some light bulbs around literary analysis and the cool things you could see inside of information. And so I did end up going off to school to become an English teacher. 
And I think anything that's happened since that time has been kind of a happy accident. So a little, you know, like a road, like a, I guess a rock might show up in a river and the river flows around it. You get these little hurdles and then you just find new directions. And so I've been blessed and here I am today. A happy accident. That's a good one. So then you went into school, went into public school education and talk a little bit about that. Where you taught, what kind of leadership or training you had? Did you kind of plow your, you know, a lot of us back at the beginning, uh, that's when teachers were in complete isolation. Were you that way or did you have a lot of help? We were in complete isolation. I worked in a small uh, high school. And so we had the old guard, if you will, the veterans. And then we had the really young crew. There was this big split. There wasn't a lot in the middle. And on my first day, they literally walked me to the door, opened the door and said, there you go, have at it. And I said, yeah, but what do I teach? And they said, whatever you would like. And they <laughs> Ouch. pointed at a array of novels and said, take your pick and have fun. So that was kind of my introduction to teaching. Um, and I was working with, at the time, a staff that was, they had been burned or scarred from a previous strike and all kinds of issues were 20 years prior, but still looming in our culture. So um, it was sink or swim. You had to figure out who were your allies and how you were going to get this job done. And I was blessed to have a couple really great mentors who were willing to help me be successful. That doesn't really sound like a happy accident the way you got thrown into teaching. Well, <laughs> I was blessed to be in teaching because I absolutely fell in love with it. But then after a couple principals, we had a principal who really was trying to get rid of um, the most powerful female voice on staff. And each year he would get rid of the next voice. And so you kind of knew the lineup, like you knew I'm three years from now. And so I knew it was coming my way. And I became uh, the union president because you know how I am. I'm going to try to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't work. I wasn't able to be successful in that moment. So I left and I went to work at the State Department, which if you put that together with I was the union president and then I went to work at the State Department, there's this huge 180 in there that causes a little disconnect. Um, but that was also a happy accident. I, I mean, I got to see all of the schools in Minnesota. I got to know what the bigger system was like, how politics ran, how decisions were made. Uh, wild horses couldn't drag me back there. <laughs> but there I was. And um, then I had the good fortune of picking, literally handpicking the district I would most want to work in. So I got to go work in the central office there in staff and organization development. And that was an amazing experience. They were kind of like a little Camelot. Uh, we had this phenomenal team. And I loved every minute of that. And because I had been out and about at the state level, I had districts still calling to say, would you please come still work with us. And so consulting just kind of opened up in front of me. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm going to rewind for just a second back to uh, the, uh, the, what would be the reverse of Jack Welch or Jack Welch, who was the head of GE for so long, every year said, get rid of your bottom 10% of your employees and then rehire. This guy got rid of his top female. A little bit of panic, a little fear, a little uh, looking over your shoulder all the time. Yeah, it was a really um, uncomfortable culture to be in. And so, and you could see it, literally, we had one strong female teacher leaving each year and you kind of knew what was happening. And and some people started to get more overt about it toward the end. So the woman before me made a big kind of explosion about it and said, this is why I'm leaving. He is doing these things and the board wasn't listening. Um, so when once I 
pulled the trigger and I had all these pages of documentation, I, I, the writing was on the wall. I wasn't going to be able to change it. So I left and three months into being in the State Department, they called me and said, we really messed up. We want you back. Would you please come back? And now could we use your documentation? And I said, you can have the documentation, but I moved on. <laughs> That's that wild horses thing again, right? Not coming back. Yeah, exactly. It's, I, I hope it's hard for some of the younger listeners to understand what it was like uh, back in teaching when you got involved in it and stuff. And now when, when we, everybody promotes collaborative teams, some do it a lot better than others, but isolation, what was the phrase that we used to use that is a series of independent kingdoms tied together by a common parking lot, right? That is true. So you got to create your own grading system, your own finals, the whole course. And it had nothing to do with anybody else in the English department. Nothing to do with it. And what I found was when I was working in staff and organization development in Eden Prairie Public Schools, and we were working hard to build that collaborative culture and get people to do those kinds of things, um, we actually had the newbies, some of the newbies coming in who were second career, were all in on collaboration. But some of the youngest people coming in were a little bit uh, tentative about it because they said, we actually picked teaching because we thought we'd get our own room. We thought we'd have uh, our own yeah. and that telling us we don't get that. And we said, you're correct. (laughs) You don't get that. That's not how we roll here. Taking away my personal autonomy. Stop it. So Eden Prairie was your Camelot? That was Camelot? My Camelot, yes. I worked with an amazing team. How long were you there? Five years. Wow, that's fantastic. All right, so then you went into presenting, and I remember the day that we met, and I can't tell you even what city it was in, but I can tell you the booth that we all had lunch in the day that we met. And you got in presenting at that time, but that was more of leadership. And that was smart goals at that time, right? It was, yeah. So um, another happy accident. When I left Eden Prairie Schools, I went to work as the director of a statewide grant to try to move collaboration to the statewide level. We were having teachers across the state try to calibrate the standards, student work, all of those pieces. And um, I had accepted this role to lead this company or this business um, with a three-year commitment from the offer. You have three years and $5 million to do this work. And again, three months after quitting my job, they came back and said, we made a mistake. We didn't read the fine print. The federal government says you only have one year to use these finances and you have half the budget ready, go. (laughs) So I did it and it was an amazing, another amazing experience. Um, We had a lot of really good conversations with teachers across the state, made some great progress. Um, But when I was done, I hadn't had the three years I had planned to build my company because that's what I was going to do. Take three years, run this grant and build my company. So suddenly I was in a position of needing to figure out how I was going to feed my family. And uh, you sometimes can't be a profit in your own backyard, especially in the field of education. So I decided to connect with other partners and do some subcontracting work. So at the time, I was working with another contractor when you and I met and we were sitting in that booth. I think we were in Indiana. Was it in Indiana? Maybe. Yeah. Indiana or Michigan. It was something in that region. Well, that was not the important part of that meeting. You were the important part of that meeting. That's why I remember. I don't remember the restaurant, but I remember you. So is the business you were starting then, Anacarum, the same one that you own now in Rome? It's the one I got started then, yes. Uh-huh. But but it didn't, um, like I said, it didn't have legs. So when the grant ended, all of a sudden there I was, and I had to figure out what to do to survive. So I worked with actually several different education companies and learned that they're not all ethical. 
<laughs> and they're not always run in the smart business way. So today, there's only one company that I'll hang my hat at, and that's Solution Tree. Well, we're glad you're here. Very glad you're here. So did you go then immediately have a spark for assessment? I know you did a lot of work uh, with Rick Stiggins, um, and you went to his training. You were a presenter at, uh, at his summer institutes. I remember going to one of those. Uh, I only think I went to one. But is, was that what was next for you professionally, the assessment aspect? Is that what did you up? Uh, no, actually, I did a lot of work with professional learning communities, and I had done a lot of work with assessment in the classroom. So when I left the university as an undergrad student and became a teacher, I knew that there was a lot that I was missing when it came to assessment. And sure enough, uh, Stiggins and Herrick ran some research, and they found that on average, uh, North American universities spend less than 20% of their time preparing teachers in terms of assessment. But master teachers spend over 80% of their day immersed in assessment activities. So it's a little bit disproportionate. And I knew I was missing something important when I got to the classroom. So I went to every workshop known to man. I read books. I tried things. I was constantly trying to innovate with assessment. And as I started my company and started doing this work with collaboration and so on, I realized there's a huge gap. There's a lot of people who feel like I felt. There's a lot of people who don't have uh, what they need to be able to do this. So I actually became a student of it first. I really did a lot of deep learning around it and, and threw myself into a lot of conferences and reading uh, to try to figure out how I could best help teachers. So help everybody understand a little bit uh, how the assessment world has changed over the last decade, two decades, because it seems to have changed dramatically at least from my view. Well, it's a, one of those landscapes that is ever changing. And uh, always we have legislation dictating what we can't do and can do. And for a long time, high stakes testing has kind of been the tail that wagged the dog. So my team and I, we're committed to, and we have a lot of other experts around us doing the same thing. We're committed to changing the face of that. We want to talk about using assessment to increase hope and to increase efficacy and to actually increase and not just document achievement. So we talk about different processes, like how do you use assessment to gather information about where a student is, but actually to use the information to change the trajectory of that student's outcome. Um, and that's different because for a long time, all we've done is we assess, we gather the data, we evaluate, and we tell you, here's where you are, and then it's up to you to make that change. So we're trying to leverage it more as an inspirational tool for teachers and students. So that's really a great point, inspirational tool, because I spend a lot of time these days looking at um, data for the achievement gap, uh, the remote teaching, the struggles that people are having with remote teaching, what the fall is going to look like. My crystal ball is no better than anybody else's, but uh, we all keep looking at it. How is assessment going to help with this growing achievement gap that we're going to have? We already have one that's growing, but come this coming fall, it might just be massive. It has been massive. So how it's going to help us with the achievement gap is we're needing to be far more sophisticated about how we assess, what we assess, when we assess. So teachers are banding together to make informed decisions. And we're actually trying to use the data on our intervention pyramids and so on to see if we can close gaps for kids. And I have the good fortune of working with a lot of professional learning community teams across the country who are using common assessments to try to 
address those gaps and close those. So we've been listening to Mike Mattis talk about make sure that you are actually focusing in on the most essential, the most essential. And then the gift, if there is a gift in this pandemic, has been we've had to think about how do you do an assessment so that you know the results a student produces are his or her own results and that mom isn't helping in the corner, they're not looking something up on Google, or they're not texting. So by nature, teachers have had to figure out what's the better question, what's the better task. And we have to move more away from the paper pencil test and into more of those performance assessments where kids are not just knowledge seekers and regurgitators of information, but they are actually knowledge producers. So they're taking the things that they can naturally find. It's out there. You can find it. So go find it, but now make new meaning out of it and put together your insights and your solutions to how we could address real world problems. The other issue that happened naturally is because I could turn off the camera, I could ghost class. I could literally walk away. And several teachers have complained that their students are doing that. So by nature, we've had to figure out how do we become more engaging in our instruction so you keep the camera on and or stay available even if the camera's off. And how do we make those assessments so amazing that you want to do it? You would choose to do it. So virtual has thrown a whole different wrench into this whole process for you and for teachers. And it's a wrench that I hope changes the world of our assessment work forever. Because to be honest, I've yet to meet the child who leaps out of bed in the morning and says, yes, I have a hundred point test in my day. (laughs) They just don't do it. So, but they can leap out of bed and say, yes, I'm working on a project collaboratively with my peers. And we are putting together this message for our community. That's going to be really important. And I need to get the message out. So here's what I'm doing to make that happen. That's what we want. And do you think teachers are able to collaborate on this um, with their peers outside of their own school district? Is that starting to happen? Well, probably now more than ever, simply because we are virtual. And so we see people reaching across district lines to try to get help. And I see a lot of really great sharing, maybe through um, your regional agencies or whatever, where they're starting to connect more and more people, especially in the beginning where everybody was looking for what's the right app, what's the best strategy, how am I going to get this to happen? But I think one of the issues we're facing today is we've got people who have schedules that are hybrid. So a lot of times we have kids who are remote completely, kids who are on campus completely. And so teachers are stuck with, well, am I just a remote teacher or am I part of this team over here? And do our kids have to track together? Because if they don't, the kids who are on campus are getting further faster than the kids who are remote. So what are we going to do about that? So I think, you know, Bill Ferreter and Paul Cancellari did a great job when they said we should actually use like a hyperdoc and put everything in one place. And whether you are face to face or remote, this is the work. And we're actually going to connect the kids collaboratively across virtual lines, even within the classroom. So you could be in the classroom, I could be remote, and we could be working in the same Google Doc to try to solve a problem. Well, not only over the years have I thought that you were one of the best leaders that I've known, but you're also someone who is more future thinking than a lot of people that are in this arena. A lot of people in this arena are just trying to do what has to be done next week, next month, maybe next year. They don't think out there. You think a lot farther into the future. You read a lot of stuff. You go to sessions. Like you say, you're constantly learning yourself. What's your crystal ball say education is going to look like five years from now? Is competency-based education going to be the thing? Are we going to be 
Boy, I hope so. What was fascinating to me was when the ESSA legislation came in and the federal government gave districts and states the opportunity to assess differently, many didn't do it. They defaulted back to the comfort zone of the typical kind of online paper pencil testing. So we're looking for and we're finding pockets of innovation where people are willing to reinvent the system. What could it look like? How could we do more with performance assessments, which are more robust and give us better information about kids and they're more relevant and exciting, and then use that information to actually monitor our own progress, to compare ourselves and our data to others, what would that need to look like? And how do we make it financially feasible? So we're playing with it. And I've got some districts that are really interested in trying some different things. And that's kind of fun. That's very fun. I love the innovation that comes out of you and, and the team that you work with. Heading into the world of of Cassandra Erkins, where do you want your career to go from here? Where would you like to, what do you like to do best? Do you like to do keynote best, workshops best? Do you like to do one-on-one stuff? What's your, what's your passions? Boy, that's a really hard question for me to answer because I like all of it so much. You're good Um, at all of it too. That's the other hard part. Yeah, but thank you. I love, um, I love working side by side with educators to solve problems. I think that's my favorite sitting at the table, putting the evidence on the table, talking about finding insights and talking about what we could be doing differently. So you probably love it when you get into that facilitation part and do retreats and things. I do. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, All right, so let's talk something more fun than that. Let's talk about the three people. What, more fun than that? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Okay, I talk about one. Elise, tell us about your kids. Your kids have, uh, two of the three have worked for us, but I know all three of them, uh, but two of them have worked events and so forth and have a great fondness for both of them, though I've met Calvin too. So why don't you fill everybody in on your personal life and you can say, Jeff, it's nobody's business but mine. Thank you very much. The interview is over. Nope. I'm tremendously proud of all three of my children. So uh, Calvin is currently stationed in Saudi Arabia. Uh, We're hoping he'll come back at the end of April. And then he has, um, they, they just bought a house in July. And he has a daughter now. So I'm a grandmother for the first time. Natalie is going to be about 18 months in the immediate future. And she's coming to stay with us through the holidays while he's abroad. So pretty excited about that. I am blessed with an amazing daughter-in-law. Beth is um, just top-notch when it comes to just melding in with our family um, and a heart of gold. Ethan also just bought a house. He closed in October on his house and he is living in St. Paul and working for uh, Verizon. And Elise is working for a finance company, Varday in Minneapolis. And she is also just purchased a house. She purchased and closed at the end of August. So it has been the year of houses at my house. Fortunately, we are not buying a house but we just dumped a whole bunch of money into trees. So now we have all these new trees in our yard. You didn't block the beautiful view of that pond, did you? No, we opened up the pond and filled the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> well, sidebar person though, Cassie uh, and her husband and family invited us all to their home after PLC Institute in Minnesota. And we stood on our back patio and it's the first time I had ever seen a potato gun. And your two <laughs> sons were shooting potatoes <laughs> through the air into the pond. A potato is a weapon. I never thought of that. Yes. So we love to play with science and make stuff. And so we had a potato gun and I was always waiting for a potato field to show up in the pond someday, but it never. (laughs) What branch of the military is Calvin in? Calvin is in the Air Force and he does air traffic control. 
Oh, that is a high stress job. There's been some great movies about that. All right. So a fun fact that I do know about you, besides what you just talked about your family, is that when you travel to different cities and states, which hasn't been a lot lately, I don't think, you like to buy a piece of jewelry every place you go. Handcrafted, usually, if I remember correctly, from the city that you're in, made in the city. Is that right? That is true. So what I will do is, and it's how I make sure I get out and walk around and get to know a community. Um, I will look for a local jeweler. I will look for a local stone or something that represents that area. And then I will try to buy a piece of jewelry that represents my experience while I was there. So there's always a metaphor and some connection to the local materials. I only have one shopping experience with you. I don't know if you even recall this, but we uh, we were at some place together and we had dinner. And I said, I didn't have a tie. So there's no place open. We went to a Walmart and I still have an orange tie. The only orange tie I have or will ever own, even though my high school colors were orange and black. That was the only tie that wasn't like six inches wide. I still have it. So I remember know. that now that you say it. Orange was a really good color on you, but there wasn't a lot of great pickings at Walmart that there was, day. There was no pickings, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Well, you are a true professional. You're a great leader. Uh, I've loved working with you over the years. And I looked up this morning, over the last three years, you have presented 336 professional development days for Solution Tree. That's a lot of professional development days. You've done 31 virtual days this year, and you've got eight more to go. So last tidbit of information for people, tips and to-dos if you're presenting virtually, because you get great evaluations. Anything in specific you'd like to share? Yep. Keep it simple. Um, I think that if we make it too complex and we make people hop from one document to the next and they get lost in all the materials, we lose the point. So remember that the people on the other side are anxious. They are stressed. They are worried. They want help. Keep it simple. Um, and then make it engaging. Make it connect to who they are and what they need in that moment right then and there. Because at the end of the day, Good teaching is a support network, and that's what we're doing. We're supporting people in, in making the changes that we hope that they can make. Do you like it? Do you like teaching virtually, coaching virtually? I love teaching. Um, I would rather be on site, but that's not always an option. But I absolutely love teaching, and I love trying to help make something understandable, accessible, whatever it might be. So I'll, I'll go out of my way to figure out a different way to do it if I have to. Well, if people would like to follow more about your career, we can go back to the very beginning because you just go by C. Erkins, at C. Erkins for Twitter. So we've shortened your name all the way down to C. If you want to follow Cassie, go to at C. Erkins and, uh, and Twitter, and she's got some great posts. So thanks for being on the show today, Cass. It's been great seeing you again. Thanks, Jeff. I've loved every minute of seeing you and communicating with you again. It's been fun. Have a great holidays. You Enjoy too. that grandbaby. Will do. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Inside the Treehouse today. If you have an author or a topic to suggest for a future podcast, reach out to me directly at jeff.jones at solutiontree.com. Thank you for listening, and thank you for all that you do.